You have 24 minutes. You have 24 minutes, the podcast from 24 Hour Nation. 24 Hour Nation is a news and information service about nighttime economic activity in our cities and towns. Our website and social media provide valuable insights and resources for nighttime advocates. Our podcast and webinars share the wisdom and expertise of international thought leaders on matters that pertain to nighttime economic and cultural activity. For curious travelers, 24-Hour Nation also shares new and intriguing things to see, do, or savor in America's top nightlife destinations. Follow us online at 24hournation.com and on social media at 24 Nation. My name is Randall White, founder and curator for 24-Hour Nation. Today, we spend 24 minutes with Robert C. Smith, CEO and president of Nightclub Security Consultants. Earlier this year, we had the opportunity to hear Robert speak about a number of topics to do with nightlife, club security, bouncers, alcohol liability, and active shooters. Now, 24-Hour Nation does not receive compensation from our podcast guests, neither should this episode be regarded as an endorsement. We simply believe that today's guest offers valuable insights and information for bars, clubs, restaurants, and hotels that operate at night. Here's Robert Smith. When I started my company 24 years ago, I would thought I would be speaking to only a bouncer, quote unquote bouncer, the in-house security guard for the operator. And as I did my first class, I had a couple of owners that were in there and they stayed through the whole six hours. And I realized on my drive home from my first class that, holy mackerel, the owners have no clue about these small and large things either. So our focus is on anybody in that, so, speak, so to speak, chain of command from an owner, insurance companies, uh, a city official, all the way down to the new entry-level security guard. And, and I say that because like any operation, if everybody's on the same page, the program works. If there's one weak link, the program fails. And, and it's the same with our with our training and our message that we put out to people. Do you find that all of these people want the training? Or if not, how do you persuade them to understand the value to the business and to them? Well, again, it's really unique. And those are two questions you got that I thought when I started my company, how am I going to get them? What's the catch? What's the, what's the bait that's going to get them to do it? And I realized there is no need for a hook. Once they hear that I'm going to give them real life, practical, simple reasons, methods, ideas to handle small problems, big problems with an underlying theme of hospitality, any smart operator, and even some of the dumb ones, but almost every single security guard and anybody in between says, wow, okay, I'm going to listen to what this guy says. I know a lot meaning the operators and workers, they think, I know a lot. I've done this for 10 years. Let me hear what he says. And I'm telling you, it never fails. They come out of there smarter, more equipped, uh, more adept at the small details from a checking of an ID to police visiting a venue to an active shooter or to something as simple as uh, using their cell phone on duty on the floor. What's an, what's an example, though, of a situation where you've been talking to somebody and you just feel like they're resistant and then the light bulb goes off? So my intro to every class I give, big or small, an hour class or 10 hour class, three days or it doesn't matter. But I show them what I want to do. 
And I say, here are my three main goals. And one of my goals is to put you on solid ground. Joey, door host, you're at the door working at Friday at 2 a.m. Your, your owner is home sleeping. I want that owner to sleep sweet dreams, knowing you're doing what's supposed to be done at the door and they don't have to worry about it. So Joey, let me ask you, and I'll use the most basic question across the country and I'll give him an example and I'll say, is it law that everyone has to have their ID to be in your club, bar, restaurant, hotel? And inevitably the answer is always, oh yeah, you have to. And then I go through it because the answer is no. The Supreme Court threw all of that out back in the late 70s, early 80s. You don't need ID on you. And once they look at me like, huh? Come on, all my life in the business, even owners will stop and double take and put their pencils down and look up and say, what the hell are you talking about? And when I show them the true facts and they realize I'm right, that's when you got them. You got them. And I, and I can see it. I've seen it hundreds and hundreds of times where the smartest operator will go, huh, why didn't I know that? That makes so much sense. Okay. And so, so state to state and city to city, there are differences in laws and licensing and serving. How do you, as a consulting group, manage all of those differences? It's, it's, it's really easy. If you really think about it, let me ask you a question and your listeners a question. Okay. Think of the last real, real regulation the hospitality industry has had to fend off or accept. And by and large, if you think about it, the last real regulation was the smoking issue. Right. So what has changed? Right. What's really different from San Diego to Dallas to Florida to 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 Providence or Anchorage, Alaska? What's different? The drinking age is 21. The the ID rules are all the same. The use of force rules are the same. Getting sued is all the same. <laughs> the small things may change. For example, in Florida, it's four years civil liability to be sued. In Louisiana, it's one. Those things may change, and that's easy to check. You just get online and you have a database, and when you go into city to city, you realize, hey, I'm going into Cheyenne, Wyoming. You pull up your database that you created, and you're there. The core elements of this industry are the same city to city, county to county, state to state. Okay, but in that vein, in a 24-hour nation's webinar about public safety with our colleagues from Philadelphia, you wanted me to ask a question that I did not get to ask. Do you remember what that question was and how it would have been, how I the did. answer would have benefited that discussion? The, the core thing, and I go back to the last question, what mm -hmm. I asked you, the one thing that's changed in the last 20, 30, 40 years has been the smoking rule where people were really worried and then they had to implement that. The other thing that is slowly and steadily growing is mandatory training of in-house security guards. Cal California became the first state in 2008 to mandate all in-house guards or bouncers be licensed. And by license, they mean background check, registration, and, and approved training. Now, some of your listeners will say, no, we have that in my state. Well, be careful because you may have a generic security training, but it is not specific to in-house or proprietary guards. Meaning if you hire a guard company, They've got to be licensed and trained. Okay. But if you hire your own bouncer, you don't have to do anything. Okay. Well, Philadelphia wrote a law. It was called the Bouncer Law, actually, probably, I'm guessing, six, seven years ago. And they mimicked California's law. 16 hours of mandatory training for the city of Philadelphia. Uh, background check within the FBI and the uh, Department of Justice. And then you would get your card and your training certificate. You could go to work as a bouncer. The problem that Philly did when they wrote it, and it's a great idea, I think all bouncers need to have some sort of training. Philly didn't create the infrastructure to do it. 
They have no training for foot officers, beat officers to go enforce the rule. So oh. I could go into your club and see eight guards and not even know there's a license for those guards. You know, Philly was thinking correctly. They were really thinking ahead. But now they're not enforcing the rule. So when you create a rule mm. and you don't enforce it, it's going to be real hard to go back to enforce the rule later. To your knowledge, how many states or maybe jurisdictions have that kind of in-house regulation like California and Philadelphia have? There are approximately seven states that mandate in-house guards get their own unique training. So okay. those states have two licenses. One license, every state in our country, uh, say um, uh, Mississippi does not. Every state other than Mississippi has a security guard license training. Okay. You see those guards with patches on their sleeves uh, at a bank or at a at a condo complex. Those are those are security guards that are mandated to be trained. Bouncers in five states are now required to be trained also. So five states and about six cities. Denver has a law. Um, Providence, Rhode Island was the first city in the country to have a law. But Philly has it. There are about four or five other cities that have them and about five total states. Okay. Well, let's shift the conversation a little bit. I want to talk about underage drinkers because this is also something you provide some training on. How big of an issue is this today, really? And what are the consequences to the drinker as well as the business? The the issue, you know, when you say what, uh, how big of an issue is this, issue is a relative term. Um, it's been going on. I, I'm I'm an older gentleman. I've I've had my time. I had a fake ID when I was 18. So it was going on before me. It'll go on after me. The consequence for the underage drinker can be severe, but because it's in our environment so prevalent, it's kind of nothing really hard happens to the underage drinker unless some harm comes to them or someone else. For example, the stories we always see on the news are the high school drunk driver during prom week. Right. And that's when the sanctions are heavy or the 20 year old going back to her campus drives drunk and kills someone. And that's when we hear about it. And the sanctions are, are devastating for that underage drinker. How, however, on the flip side for the operator, every state has laws and your bar can be charged with administrative violations. Uh, people can lose their job. The district attorneys in some cities in Dallas, for example, in one, in one case, the district attorney waited for the, the, the civil case to subside regarding the drunk driver in the lawsuit because she drove drunk. And then they went back because of the testimony in that lawsuit. They went back after the bartender who served that person. And it's other cities that did it because they wanted to create a firmer sanction on the actual servers. Uh, most states have server requirements, but you ask any bartender and they know what they're doing. They, they, they really speak to two masters and it's difficult. They make tips. Sure. So they balance, they're on that fine balanced edge of over service and still keeping the guests there. So it's, it's not, it's not a huge, terrible issue but it's ever constant in the industry. Yeah, I, I just don't hear about it as much unless it's a situation like you're talking about when there's been some tragedy that's come out of it. Is it your sense that responsible drinking public service campaigns really resonate those who most need to hear them? No, it's, it's I, I swear, uh, I, I talk about this with other professionals. I like it because it's like you're poking. It's a reminder. Right. Hey, oh, let's bring it back up to the level. Oh, let's bring it back up to the level. It's the same with smoking. 
It's the same with um, even even a, a hot button issue that within the last five years has risen to to the front is uh, acquaintance rape, where right. it's not necessarily roofies or other chemical. It's alcohol that causes someone to get too intoxicated. They can't make a decision. So that's up there now of, hey, let's look out for your girlfriends, look out for your friends. It's the same. Uh, I, I think the campaigns just bring it back up to the surface so people can go, oh, yeah, we should be looking for that. I want to talk a little bit also about disruption. You know, I saw that word in your um, website materials. These days, many people have been in a bar or a restaurant or even on airplanes where disruptions have led to fights. Two questions out of that. How best for staff to respond to one of those situations and how best for other patrons to respond? You, you have a bunch of issues there. I'll, I'll try to I'll try to hit okay. just a couple of them. Talk to me. One, most disruptions in the hospitality industry, most disruptions, alcohol is a connection. Uh, 90 in bars and clubs, 95% or more of active shooters in bars or clubs are under the influence of alcohol. Now, when I say active shooters, these are people that get into your your bar, my bar. They're having a good time. They happen to bring their gun in with them, and we're not checking at the door, but they get in an argument. That argument escalates. The gun comes out. 95% or more are under the influence of alcohol. You know, there are people on airplanes that had no, not one lick of alcohol, but because they're, they've got something going on in their brain about wearing a mask, not wearing a mask, somebody's shoes, whatever it is that triggers them. We can't really deal with them until the trigger or the disruption happens. But in our bar world, if we know that alcohol influences so much about disruption from the door to the floor to entry, exit, enjoyment, well, we have a handle already. We can deal with the alcohol service and the consumption. The the employees have a, in every state, they have a duty the owner, and it falls to the employees. They have a duty to provide a reasonably safe environment for everybody coming into the venue. Well, part of that reasonableness, when they look at it in court by a jury, a, a judge, uh, or insurance, is did they overserve? What are they doing to prevent overintoxication? How are they doing these things? And not just what are they doing, show us proof. Getting involved early, uh, meeting them at the door, screening them at the door, uh, slowing them down, bringing them water, giving them free potato chips or peanuts or that old thing that you and I have seen in bars across our life at hotels or small bars where they bring you that bowl of peanuts. You know, <laughs> when you first, when you first did that, you probably reached right into the peanuts and ate them. And most people do. And over the years, you start just contemplating those peanuts. When you see them 50 times, Oh my God, I God, whose hands have been in those peanuts as you start to reach in the peanuts to have a peanut, a free handful of peanuts. Well, but those details are part of the administration process to slow the absorption of alcohol in the stomach. There's a real method to that peanut on the on the bar thing. For the guests, all guests, we're all naturally helpers. We want to help each other. That's what human beings are. Nearly 100% of us have a helping gene in us. So when there's a disruption in a bar, and let's just say it's an Applebee's, they don't have security. And any Applebee's style of, of restaurant bar, uh, local hot watering hole, they don't have security most of the time. So who's going to get involved? And it's a predominantly female ser- server centric team. And you have most of the time male managers. So who's going to get involved when two guys sitting at the bar, they order their whatever, they start arguing over the football game. It starts to get out of hand. And you want a 22-year-old server to go break down these two 45-year-old men? So normally, 
another male customer will say, hey, fellas, you, and then all of a sudden now it's male machoism, the machismo, and again, alcohol that influences decision-making. But if you don't have security, if you don't have someone there trained, if they're trained early to act early, those kind of things can start to wane and go down. Um, you and I are more likely to get up, get up and leave. And I, don't, and I don't mean to pick on Applebee's. I'm just using them as an example. Right. And Applebee's at the bar or a nightclub, a full-on nightclub, you and I are more likely to get up and leave with maybe some disgruntled words as we walk out when we're not obviously or over-intoxicated. And if the servers know that, they, they hear the guy being a little bit loud at the bar. They see the customers around them. She walks up to the customers and says, hey, I'm sorry, folks. I know he's having a great time watching the game, but let us handle this if this goes anywhere. She's proactively putting the bug in the mind of the customers. Hey, we got this. And that will do so much later should it go sideways. Gotcha. Now, in a, in a nightclub situation, and I, knew, I know you work a lot in the nightclub space, when an on-site situation escalates and moves into the parking lot or onto the street, it can often become more violent or noisier, and that alarms nearby businesses and residents. In some cities, even though the safety crisis takes place off-premises, the business is held liable and punished. Is that fair? Talk talk to us about that. It, I, you know, some people hate me for saying this, but I try to keep everything I talk about real. I do think it's fair because your property is not just your premise. Your property is from the sidewalk line, your driveway, your parking area, your rear patio. Even though alcohol can't be in those locations, you're required to maintain a safe area. So if we know that up front, okay, let's accept it. That's the law. Let's accept it. What do we do about it? Again, it's alcohol. It's managing our alcohol service on the floor, at the bar. When they drive up, what are they consuming? Are they consuming in the car? Are these the people we can talk to as three guys get out of their car? Can we say, hey, fellas, you've been pre-gaming. Unfortunately, it's already a violation on our liquor license. I'm just not going to be able to let you in tonight. Or do we do we are we smart enough to screen them and say, fellas, oh, sorry, sorry, Doc. Sorry, man. I'm sorry. I'll put it away. I won't do it. I'm sorry. Okay. They're cooperative, they're coherent, they're verbally responsive and receptive to you. Maybe we let them in. But knowing how they're going to be another 40 minutes to an hour inside of our bar when they start drinking in our bar. And many operators have, have told me, Robert, that's not our that's not our problem. And I'll say, look, I'll stop a training. I know they're paying my bill. And I'll say, look. Tomorrow, when we train, you get your attorney or your insurance agent on the phone tonight. Let's find out because you're wrong. You're getting the wrong information. And I don't want to teach your team something wrong. Sure enough, it always comes back. No, no, no. That is our responsibility. And then they're like, Robert, that's just unfair. Okay, but we can't change that. So let's fix it. When we have a fight in our bar, let's just not rat, grab two guys, wrap them up and push them outside in the, on, the, on the street. It's reasonable. It's going to continue. We, if you're trained right, you in every state, we can make a lawful detention. We can hold them. We can talk to them. We can calm them down. We can do so much if you know what you can do. But if you don't know, you're going to do the same thing you've always done. Grab them, get them out. Hey, what happens outside happens outside. Not a problem. No, it is your problem for the city, for the first responders, for the neighbors, for other guests, everybody. 
I'm talking with Robert C. Smith. He's the CEO and president of Nightclub Security Consultants. You can learn more about them. Uh, their website is nightclubsecurity.com. They also have a blog and feature podcasts. They're on Facebook at Bouncer Training, on Twitter at Bouncer Coach, LinkedIn, Nightclub Security. I'm going to give you the final word, Robert, gun violence. Active shooter training, by the way, isn't every shooter active. I've never really understood that. <laughs> Concert venues, nightclubs, special events, restaurants, sporting events, most public spaces, often at night. Not a news cycle goes by without us learning about some report of tragic gun violence. What makes these settings attractive to the perpetrator of violence? And what does every nighttime venue need to do? And why aren't they? Oh, my goodness. We have a four-hour class on that question, so you know. Okay. Uh, So your first point is valid. And I tell operators, and and they say, Robert, who should come? I say, everybody, bring your door host, bring your cover girl, bring your valet, bring everyone that works on your property to this class. Because the first hour, they're going to go, oh, my God, he's right. We get inundated with stories of what we call active shooter and the government's definition of an active shooter. Look, the government isn't always right. They do what they can as government. And we're supposed to look at it and really take the the story. An active shooter is anyone actively shooting. Uh, In uh, Hobby Airport, uh, a year ago, a woman got out of a taxi, walked up to the front, changed her clothes in the bathroom, went up to the front counter of of, uh, Southwest Airlines and started shooting up in the air. Well, that does not fit the government's definition of an active shooter. However, was she actively shooting? Do people still have to panic? Do they still think about run, hide, fight? Do you still call 911? Do you still consider rendering aid if someone's hurt? Yes, she's an active shooter, and let's not cover it up and say, well, she's not shooting at people, killing in a confined space. In the bar world, the second thing I tell them when they realize, okay, anyone shooting is an active shooter, I say, look, the most common active shooter, and they talk about Sandy Hook, and they talk about El Paso Walmart, and they talk about Mandalay Bay Elevated Shooter. And then I show them the numbers. In the United States of America, on average, there's one of those type of planned active shooter every three and a half months. Now, that's a lot. That sounds like a lot. But they're a planned shooter. Planned their weapon, practiced, found their location, sought it out, surveilled it. In our world, in the hospitality world, get this. There's a unplanned active shooter every night in our country in a bar, club, restaurant, or hotel. Every night. This is the shooter that gets in line to come to your bar, your club, walks through the front door of your country bar, your nightclub, your restaurant, and there's music at 11. They have their gun on them. They're strapped. They're carrying illegal carry, illegal concealed carry, off-duty cop. It doesn't matter. They're carrying. Then the alcohol gets on board. They're not rational. You can't win an argument with a drunk. And when when the drunk starts arguing and they've got their gun, that's their ace in the hole. If they lose their fight, they're backed in the corner, that gun comes out. That's our most common active shooter. And if employees can understand, huh, I don't need to be a hero with that type of active shooter because that most common active shooter that an employee in a bar will see, they're shooting two to three times and they're running. They're not continuing to kill. The the government hasn't wanted to, and I've talked to them, they have not wanted to address that important topic for our unique industry. Running and hiding is great. Fighting is absolutely something to consider. But for the employees listening to this and owners to talk to your people, you need to just consider, huh, 
We had one in our parking lot. They had one in Tampa on the street. They go into the bar. They have an argument. The gun comes out. Two people shot. Nobody shot. Nine shots. And they run. And they're caught a week later. Why would we ever try to hold them and grab them? We shouldn't. Be the best witness you can be. Render aid. They're gone. Let them go. So those two points are so important for our industry about active shooters. What an active shooter is and what the most common one really is. This has been Season 1, Episode 23 of 24 Minutes from 24 Hour Nation. Learn more about us at 24hournation.com and on social media at 24 Hour Nation.